to healthcare disruption? It's you. It's you. Are you ready to join hosts Jerry Durham and Andrew Rothschild in breaking down the healthcare status quo and creating a customer-focused experience? It starts with you. Time to break it. Let's go. And this is Jerry Durham, along with Andrew Rothschild, and welcome to our Healthcare Disruption Podcast. Uh, Very excited because tonight we are doing our first uh, live interview. So um, very happy about this. You've heard some other, uh, just Andrew and I speaking, but we want to make it a point of bringing in people that we believe bring value into healthcare and the disruption of healthcare, and as you know, I love bringing in people from outside of healthcare, uh, from other industries, and we definitely have done that tonight. Uh, tonight, Andrew is on the call, or is on the podcast. Sorry, we are on the phone, but is on the podcast. And tonight, we have Matt Walkinson, and Matt is the author of the 10 principles behind great customer experiences. And if you follow Andrew and I on Twitter, you should know pretty much the whole book by now because Andrew and I have been sharing it pretty crazily for the last couple of weeks. A little bit about the book and about the author before we bring him on. So the 10 principles behind great customer experiences was published in 2013. And in that same year, it won the CMI Management Book of the Year Award on Matt's first attempt. And it won in the innovation and entrepreneurship category, as well as the overall winner of the CMI Management uh, Program. So congratulations on that. And uh, I'll tell everybody right now, hopefully you'll go online and purchase the book if you have any desire to to better the patient experience in healthcare. And what I'm going to recommend right now is just basically read chapter 2, 5, 7, 12, and 13. Photocopy those for all of your friends in healthcare and make sure they read those chapters, 2, 5, 7, 12, and 13, because I feel that those should be mandatory reading in all of healthcare. So... Um, Everybody knows I like to read a lot, as Andrew does like to read a lot, and we've been sharing a lot of ideas and thoughts, and it's kind of interesting when you pick up a new book and not quite sure where you're going to start. I do read the preface of all my books, and it was awesome to pick up Matt's book because in the preface, I knew the book was going to be right for me. Just a couple things I'd written down that I read. Now, mind you, the preface isn't even page one of the official book, so I knew I was dead on when I picked this up, but... He mentions in the preface that the principles, the 10 principles in the book are drawn from psychology and everybody knows my love of psychology and bringing that more into uh, healthcare and what we do every day. And then he also stated creating a great experience just needs conscious, deliberate thought to create a great experience. And on that note, I'd like to welcome you, Matt, to the Healthcare Disruption Podcast. Hi, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, great. So this was your uh, first and only book, Matt, is that correct? Uh, yeah, it is my first book. I'm uh, I'm pregnant for a second time at the moment, um, <laughs> and my uh, my second book's out. Yeah, it should be due out uh, spring next year. If, if I manage to finish it before it finishes me, I think that's uh, pretty much where we're at in that, that particular uh, development. So... Yeah, it's it's going well, and I'm excited to have something uh, have something new to share. Yeah, it's great. That's great. And uh, well, you did uh, well. As I just mentioned, you did such a great job on the first one. So thanks for putting that one out too. That's very kind. Yeah, thank you. 
so Matt, why don't you uh, tell the listeners again, um, not coming from healthcare, why don't you give the listeners a little background of yourself and how you got involved with this thing called customer experience? Well, sure. I mean, uh, the way that I that I actually ended up uh, writing the book that I did was I actually began my career designing um, websites and, and software. Um, even back when I was at university, I was doing that. And then as that technology uh, evolved and, and it became a lot about mobile apps and, and tablet apps, um, for a lot of the, the firms that I was working with, uh, most of which were of a pretty large scale, the challenge wasn't so much to get those things right in isolation. It was to really try and join those, all of those different channels or touch points uh, together into one cohesive experience. So you'd have a, a good website, a good app, a good call center, a good showroom, a good, good kiosk, so on and so forth. So, you know, really the challenge after, after a number of years was actually designing the overall experience of, of being a customer. Um, after a number of years of, of doing that really as a practitioner, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that the way that we went about doing it was borderline insane. I mean, if you think about an engineer working at Boeing or something, they don't just you know mess around with Play-Doh in a wind tunnel until they come up with something that they think will fly. They actually know a bit of physics. They know the, the principles and, and the theory behind their discipline. The same is true with with most kind of serious professions for, for want of a better way of describing it. You've got theory and then you obviously you try things, you iterate and you test them. But in design, we weren't really making decisions based on any kind of solid theory uh, or, or reusable principles. We just kind of try stuff and see what worked. And if it worked, we'd keep it. If it didn't, we'd change it, which is a horrendously inefficient, uh, not to mention a stressful and laborious way of of doing things so that's really what gave me the taste for trying to identify these these reusable guidelines and, and principles hoping to try and find a uh, a universal set of guidelines that you could use in any kind of business uh in any kind of circumstance for any kind of product or service at any kind of price point and uh, since the book came out that's certainly been been validated you know far more you know, far beyond really what, what I hoped it would. I've heard from, from literally uh, every corner of the world in every different kind of business that you can imagine, everything from kind of luxury to uh, to healthcare and, 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 and medicine and construction and everything in between that, that they have successfully applied these principles to to improving what their customers experience. So it's been a kind of a wild journey and, and, and really fun and, and, and tremendous to hear that, that it's actually helping people to to improve their businesses and their customers' lives in a you know kind of very mutually beneficial way, which is which is great. You know? Yeah, that's uh, I love uh, that. That's great hearing that. And yet, that I think you're right. The proof is, and that's great to hear. You're hearing from all those people, and for somebody in healthcare like myself and Andrew to pick up the book and immediately be able to to think about how this applies to us and our customers, our patients. Uh, it definitely did come through through that way. I've got a question. Um, you, you tapped into some things that were again in the preface. This idea of quantitative, you know, the physics and the engineering being the quantitative science and there's the qualitative aspect. And 
trying to measure the customer experience. Can you go into that a little more? Because I think that's important for uh, people to understand. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily, um, I'm not sure you necessarily measure the experience itself. I think you measure the the effects of having a, a positive or a negative experience in other aspects of your business, which would be, you know, things like propensity to refer or, uh, to refer new customers to your business. It would be, you know, the the sentiment that you pick up on on social media about about your business. It will be revenue and, and repeat customers. It will be all of those, you know, traditional business metrics which really reflect the experience rather than necessarily measuring it itself it's always one of those things that i um i'm in two minds about and, and i don't know that we'll ever really get to the to the bottom of it but you know there's always been a, a sense that you know what gets measured gets managed and if you can't measure it and you can't manage it as, yes. as people are very fond of yes of saying and, and of course there's there's truth to that no one would deny that and it's good to have sets of metrics that you think should reflect whether you're making things better or making things worse. But that's not to say that, that there aren't things that are evidently very important that can't, uh, that, that kind of defy direct measurement, but, but should still very much be front of mind. I mean, one example just from my childhood is, uh, you know, it's kind of a stupid example, but, you know, when you uh, when we had cassette players, you know, you would infer a lot about the quality of a of a cassette player by the eject mechanism. You know, you'd press the eject button, and if it was kind of glidy and it opened very smoothly, you'd be like, "That's a that's a kick-ass tape player." You know, and if it was kind of a plasticky, clunky thing, you'd say, "Well, that's you know, that must be a cheap or or, or nasty one." You know, and obviously nobody is going to go to the trouble of making a glidiness index for cassette players where you would measure. Uh, you would try and systematically measure that. You just know, because you're a human, that, that that's something that people do in the same way that you just know that, you know, a, a, an experience that requires less effort is generally, as a consumer at least, preferable to one that requires more effort. You don't necessarily need to, to have an, an index for all of these things. You just need to uh, use your your brain in the way in which it has evolved, which is to be an empathic human being who is capable, more than capable, of putting yourself in the position of another person and understanding what it is that they would or wouldn't like from an experience. You know? So I, I think like measurement is, is extremely important and it's valuable and, and you should have a key set of metrics, but you also, by the same token, need to acknowledge that some of the most important things in life simply cannot be measured like you can't measure how in love with your wife you are <laughs> you know you can't measure how much you like your children <laughs> yeah. you know like really the most important things in life defy straightforward measurement but that doesn't mean that we should just ignore them and, and that's always a tendency in in extremely risk averse organizations who demand some kind of numerical uh, figure you know before they even get out of bed in the, in the, in the morning you know but, yeah and that's often, you know, you could say why some small businesses are capable of outmaneuvering uh, large firms on customer experience because they're capable of and they have the autonomy to do whatever they think is right without having to point to an Excel spreadsheet before they make a decision. You know. Great point. Oh, multiple great points in there. That whole, I believe, and I'm just going to throw it out there and people know I'd love to share my opinion. Yeah, I believe that the big resistance to focus focusing on customer experience is exactly in healthcare 
is exactly what you just laid out. We love to measure and we're so quantitative um, that we have a hard time embracing the qualitative, but yet that person sitting across from us is, you know, in pain or, you know, the emotions of it all. And if we start to address the qualitative side, it will help everybody, including the quantitative side. There actually is some good research that shows that. Um, so that's a great point. Let's, uh, yeah. oh, go on. Yeah, go on. No, I mean, I was just going to say, I, I, I don't want to come across as, as, as being dismissive in any way of the, of the need to, um, to create programs or improvements that, that deliver a return to the business you know I mean it's absolutely essential that if you if you undertake um, a customer experience initiative that you that you feel like you can demonstrate some some return to the business uh, that, that is going to be going to be very tangible I, I totally agree with that like I I am I am. I would be the last person to say, "Well, you should just improve the customer experience because it's the right thing to do." Like, I mean, in a sense, that's obviously the case uh, on a kind of on some moralistic level. But you know, a business is a business; it's not a hobby, and you've got to you've got to improve. Um, you've got to make sure that you allocate your resources to improve the things that that make the most difference. I've got to say, there have been many, many times in the last three years where. Uh, organizations have approached me about customer experience programs and they've said, you know, something along the lines of, oh, you know, we have this inflatable dartboard or we have this chocolate teapot and nobody wants to buy it. So, you know, we need to improve the customer experience. And <laughs> I've actually been very clear in saying to them, well, personally, I don't think that that is a problem. I think you have a product that sucks and, <laughs> you know, no amount of making it easier to buy or easier to use is is, is going to move the needle on that. You'd be better off investing in making a product that people want. And they always sound genuinely surprised by that, as if they kind of never considered the possibility that their product might be uh, completely useless. But, but you know, there you go. I, I, so that's, uh, you know, to slightly give a more rounded answer, if you see what I mean. Uh, no, I love that. Uh, that. That's a great example. And, no, I, I heard, and I even wrote down, you know, you said some uh, – you know, we can measure the effects, too, through uh, quantitative measures, right? Repeat customers, uh, repeat revenue, you know, loyal customers. And then we have the other things. You can look at the social media hits. So, yeah, totally get the basics of the business, but not but, sorry. Totally get the basics of the business. And embracing that qualitative and understanding that it's a big part of it, I think, is a huge success of uh, or can be in healthcare. Let me uh, sure. follow up with another thing, another word you used, and I was so excited to see it in your book. Empathy is a huge word in healthcare right now, Matt, <laughs> and it's only become a huge word probably within the last five years in healthcare. Can you um, talk a little bit about where you see empathy playing a role in the customer experience? <laughs> Well, uh, I think uh, it just empathy greases the wheels, doesn't it? I think with any interaction, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's in your work life or in your personal life. If you can imagine yourself uh, in in the in the position of of your customer or of your friend or of your adversary, which you know all of us are more than capable of doing, we all have the the hardware and software up top uh, uh, to do that. It makes decision making, you know, that much easier uh, and that much that much simpler. If you have some kind of an empathic understanding 
um, of the person that you're you're dealing with. I really don't think there's any substitute for people in organizations spending time either as a customer or with a customer to, to really understand what it is that they go through and what it is that, that they experience. You know, there's just no substitute uh, for that because then you... You know, you know what's right without having to sit through a 200-slide PowerPoint deck um, <laughs> telling you, you know, what it is that your your customers want. You, you gain an, an immediate visceral feel for what is going to improve the experience that, that is almost, you know, that is, is priceless. You know, so I think it's it's kind of, in a way, a sad indictment of, of where business has gone that that you know empathy has kind of become a buzzword when. You know, ultimately, a business succeeds because it has customers. Yeah, right. you know, it's, there's nothing more or less to it than that. And obviously, the better the better you understand those customers, the the more successful you're you're going to be. It's not it's not rocket science, and it's and it's not really an insight. You know, you could you could take a someone from the Bronze Age and who was trading like spearheads, and and they would know that that's obviously the case. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely missing, and it. It excites me and worries me all at the same time that caring and empathy can be a value add in healthcare. So um, I think Andrew had a question or a point you wanted to bring up, Andrew. Yeah, I was going to follow up with the empathy thing. And it's, it's ironic that it's, it's a, a newer buzzword thing when shouldn't it already be something that is naturally occurring, not something that is manufactured. Right. It's like saying, oh, we, we conduct business honestly. Isn't that how you should conduct business? You know, um, and the thing is with healthcare and especially in physical therapy, the ironic thing is that if you take a poll in a in a physical therapy class or uh, in, a, in a continuing ed course, most people who have been in physical therapy at one point were patients themselves. They experienced it as uh, in their youth. And that's what may help to get them into the, the profession because they were inspired through their experience. Yet somewhere along the way, a lot of us lost that, that aspect of it, the customer care part of things and kind of got caught up in the machine with the quantitative stuff. And so now we're trying to steer, steer the boat back the other way. And so what would you say, Matt, to you know, those therapists listening out there who are either working for a, a large company or um, you know, the corporate-owned PT is, uh, makes up a big percentage of PTs in this country um, who kind of maybe have, you know, they, get, they get caught up in the machine a little bit? Well, it's always an, an interesting conundrum, that kind of thing, because you will have um, – Really, in in a sense, I suppose that comes down to how empowered an, an individual is to to make uh, decisions uh, for themselves. You know, I'll give you an, an example uh, that, that kind of springs to mind immediately. It is from healthcare, but it's from animal healthcare. Actually, a friend of mine's dog uh, uh, was has been sick, and obviously they care enormously about their their pets. So they they take it down to the local veterinary uh, surgery where they've just moved and. You know, they go to to see this vet who is who is then trying to sell them all of these packages of, oh, would you like to buy this? Would you like to buy that? Oh, it's probably a good idea for you to have our regular like canine dentistry package to to keep an eye on, you know, whatever the, the dog's name's teeth, and totally ignoring the fact that the owner 
is is really distressed because their their pet is is in pain, yeah. and they're kind of they don't care about any of these plans and stuff. They just want their their pet that's a part of their family to feel better. But the vet obviously, you know, instinctively understands that. But if they then have to follow some standard operating procedure where they go through and they they have to jump through all these idiotic hoops before they can actually get to the problem, and if and if their livelihood depends on them upselling and reselling and cross-selling all of this crap, then of course that's going to interfere with with what their priorities should be, which is to to care for the for the patient and in this case the the owner as as well. And it's and it's kind of obvious, but so much of this stuff stems from the fact that there's what I would call like a low psychological proximity between managerial central decision makers and people on the ground in any kind of a business who are actually dealing with the customer. You know, hierarchy, if you look at hierarchy in, in systems literature, where the term hierarchy comes from, a hierarchy exists to support the level below, not to support the level above. And somehow we've kind of lost sight of that and we feel like the people at the bottom of the hierarchy are there to support the ones at the top. That's actually the wrong way around, especially when it comes to... Uh, to excellence in, in customer experience uh, or, or customer service. Like management need to listen most closely to the people who are dealing with customers on a daily basis and understand how they can best support their pursuit of creating the optimum customer experience. You know, not how the person on the front line can kind of be a hapless pawn in uh, carrying out their their plans for world domination. It, it, it never works out in the long run. Is my honest pers- perspective on that, you know, but but ran over us, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I should say. I think I think that's a that's a great thought, and great example of. I, I love that hierarchy. I saw that um, in some larger settings I worked in, where where the thought process is again, yeah, of the supporting from the ground up instead of from the top down. It's interesting, and now we're kind of back to spending time with your customer. Um, being aware of your, what your customer is going through at every touch point again, for sure. Um, I've got, uh, I've got, I got a boatload of questions, so I'll keep going here. And Matt, you feel free to fill in. Um, something that was very, very interesting to me, and I've gone back to multiple times, and I'll be working with a group of people this weekend. Sorry about that. I'll be working with a group of people this weekend to uh, help them develop some, uh, to map out their customer experiences is the concept of the Stanislavski system that you bring into the book, Matt. Did you uh, want to go into the role that plays or want to hear a little more context of how I feel it fits in healthcare? I'd, I'd prefer you you address it though. Sure, and I mean, actually healthcare is, is a very good example of, um, of some of these principles in action. Uh, the Stanislavski system was, um, I came to it because I was looking for a way to better understand or better consider uh, what the customer's uh, goals were as a way to actually kind of build build empathy. And I thought, well, who's really good at that? Who's really good at understanding uh, how people think or putting themselves in other people's shoes? And it, it sprung to mind that the actors uh, would probably be a good bet and that there must be some way that actors train to 
to get into character, to understand their, their character and, and the means by which they do that. This method acting approach is called the Stanislavski system. And if you look in the, the textbooks on that, there's a whole load of stuff about how to get yourself into, into thinking as, as somebody else, which I literally, I just stole it. You know, I, I just lifted and shifted it from the acting profession into customer experience and it works remarkably well. And, um, you know, really two of the most central tenets of that uh, which are, are worth talking about. One is this idea of a higher objective, and the other one is this idea of uh, subtext. So to take them one at a time, the higher objective is to basically say that behind every goal that we articulate, there is uh, another higher level of, of goal behind that. So, for example, um, we might buy... Uh, in the olden days, you know, when the internet was still in black and white or whatever, you might buy a compact disc. But the reason why you buy it is so that you uh, can listen to music, right? Now, as obvious as that sounds, it hasn't stopped tons of people in the music industry from forgetting the fact that people just really want to listen to the music. That's their higher objective. And, of course, that's why services like Spotify and iTunes before that were so successful because they tapped into that higher objective. The same is true with a product like um like the Kindle, um, uh, where you know the the higher objective is to read the contents, not necessarily to own a, a book. And of course, there are very clear higher objectives usually in in healthcare or products around healthcare. If you think of buying something like a a set of weighing scales for the bathroom, you know the goal might be to measure your weight, but the higher objective might be to um, to uh, lose weight to feel better about your body image, to, yeah, to, to yeah, improve yeah. your your self-esteem or something like that. So, you know, it's a clear example of a, of a low-level product that has a very pronounced higher objective behind that. Now, if you were a manufacturer of scales, uh, and instead of just thinking, we sell scales, we sell scales, let's make a digital scale, and you started thinking, wow, okay, we're actually in, like, the self-esteem business or the or the uh, appearance business or, you know, that, that kind of thing. It might open up some ideas for you to, uh, to innovate or look at the world in a very different way if you're actually able to, to put yourself in the customer's position there. Um, a professor from Harvard, Theodore Levitt, uh, put it the best because he said, uh, you know, people don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole in the wall. And it's, it's almost always the case that, because people do their job day in, day out, they lose focus of those higher goals and they just think, no, we sell this or we sell that. And so they, they miss huge opportunities to to innovate. So I always encourage the, the people that I work with to, to say, okay, so why do they want that? Okay, now why do they want that? And keep tracing it back until they get to the this higher objective and then try and say, okay, if we were to, to try and satisfy that goal, how would we do it? The other thing that I mentioned there is this idea of subtext, which is that you know, we often have goals or problems or issues that we just don't feel comfortable talking about, but that doesn't mean they don't go away. And a tremendous example of paying attention to that subtext uh, is a business like Lloyd's Pharmacy in England, where they now have this, this specific service just for dealing with um, medical conditions that people don't feel comfortable talking about or going to visit their general practitioner about. So you can get um, uh, medication for everything from 
erectile dysfunction to uh, emergency contraception to any of these other kind of deeply personal or potentially uh, embarrassing uh, or, or conditions that people may feel embarrassed about, you can get help with those in a very discreet way. They just send it all out in, in plain packaging. No one needs to know about it. And if you read the reviews uh, of this particular um, service, people often say like they would have just sat at home in pain indefinitely uh, rather than go and see their, uh, their medical professional because they were so, because of this subtext, because they were so embarrassed, and that actually the only reason they've ever been able to resolve these healthcare issues is because of this service that taps directly into into that that subtext. So that's something very much to bear in mind if you're in, in healthcare. Like what what is the patient not saying to me? Yeah, that is brilliant. Like, what would they say if they knew that it would go no further? I mean, of course, it does go no further because of confidentiality, but what is it that they don't feel comfortable saying and how can but I be very tuned into that? I think there's a huge opportunity for that in health. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my, my take on those things. Yeah, huge opportunity to dig into that. We uh, we tend on the front end of the experience to to take you down to your diagnosis. So... If it's low back pain, we talk about low back pain. We don't try to even at any point until maybe they're sitting in front of the healthcare provider, which could be weeks and months later, start to even start to ask some questions to take it away from a diagnosis and take it into something like your higher objective. And then then we start to look for some subtext. I think it just, personally, I think some of that subtext can even be found out on that first phone contact with a with a healthcare business, which in turn then can make that whole experience just insanely better, and the ultimate result being a being a customer or patient that's being taken care of and getting the results. Like you said, I mean, it's just phenomenal that something as simple as brown wrappers and we don't call your name out and yell what you know viagra prescription for john smith who's standing in front of everybody is innovation these days so simple things like that so yeah that's great i think um for anybody who is going to pick up the book and i know people will definitely um draw your attention to the stanislavsky system and think about how it applies to you even sitting in front of a patient so if you don't have control of your customer experience, how you can better the experience for that patient sitting in front of you. Well, thank you for listening to part one of our interview with uh, author Matt Watkinson. Please uh, follow a- at Andrew Rothschild PT on Twitter. He will do a periscope on Monday to bring this all back into the clinic for you. Andrew's been doing a great job of that after these podcasts. So definitely going to do his, his bring into the clinic periscope on Monday. Look for that. He's got some great information and I would recommend taking a listen, another listen to this podcast again, because part two delves deeper into some of this stuff and we go into expectations and uh, just really excited for for part two and thank you so much for participating and listening to part one we'll uh check back in next thursday for part two interview with matt watkinson thanks for listening to healthcare disruption powered by updog media join in the conversation tweet at updog media at jerry underscore 
and at A Rothschild BT with thoughts. Head over to updogmedia.com for more content.